Our patients are the first thing we think of when we begin each day and the last thing we think about when we finish. In that spirit, Hendricks Regional Health, Danville, Indiana, proudly presents Health Talks with HRH. Here's Melanie Cole. If you or a loved one was suffering from a stroke, would you know what to look for? Would you know what to do? My guest today is Dr. Scott Klein. He's a neurologist with Hendricks Regional Health. Welcome to the show, Dr. Klein. What is a stroke? Thanks for having me out. Uh, Well, I guess in the simplest of terms, stroke is basically a blood vessel that gets blocked off in some region of the brain that generates symptoms such as weakness or numbness or changes in vision or speech. Uh, that can happen quite abruptly. Some people don't realize just how fast it happens. It's basically a flipping of a switch. So give us some facts about stroke because some of them are quite staggering in how in the number five cause of death in the U.S. and some of the other facts. You bet. So uh, last numbers I saw, roughly in the U.S., we have about 800,000 strokes a year. Uh, You're exactly right. It's the number five cause of death, but it's the number one cause of disability. So when people think of stroke, they think about it, you know, being a potential cause for death. But in fact, most people actually survive their stroke, but it leaves them quite disabled to where they're dependent on either the health system or their family to care for them going forward. So it becomes that much more important to consider uh, prevention strategies to make sure the stroke doesn't happen in the first place. So who who would be at risk? What are some of the risk factors for stroke? Uh, Well, the risk factors for stroke are roughly the risk factors you would think about for heart disease and other things because the the problem is basically the same. It's a blood vessel problem. So it's going to be the things that you always hear about from your doctor about uh, no smoking, uh, reducing alcohol to moderate intake at most, eating a healthy diet, regular physical activity, maintaining an appropriate body weight, most of the things that you, you kind of think about anyway, but really in, in stroke and, and heart attack, those, those things become that much more important to prevention than anything we can do medicine-wise. So most important, what are some of the signs of a stroke? How would somebody know if themselves or a loved one was having a stroke? You bet. Uh, so, you know, stroke has always been a big passion of mine since residency, and it's, it's always been admittedly a bit interesting and a bit frustrating that people will notice stroke symptoms even in themselves and think that they slept on their arm wrong or whatever it might be, or if they just go and take a nap, that it'll all go away. But if you, if you sit on a stroke, then there's admittedly not a lot we can do down the road. So if you realize that you know some, someone is having difficulty with their speech or their face is drooping or one side isn't working correctly, whether that's numbness, weakness, trouble walking, anything in that world, then you certainly need to be worried about a stroke. If, if you come to the ER within the first few hours, uh, we can actually do something to try and reverse that stroke. However, once we get outside to four, five, six hours, there's not a lot we can do other than just work with the symptoms. So early recognition of face drooping, arm or leg weakness, speech trouble, things like that, that needs to bring, bring you immediately to the ER for, uh, for a further look. So you mentioned how quickly you have to get treatment for this because time is brain, so you doctors say. What do you do? So if we call 911, let them know that we think we're having a stroke, then what happens to this person? Absolutely. So you're exactly right. Time is brain. And to put a number on that, uh, as a ballpark, in, in the midst of a stroke, we lose about 2 million brain cells a minute. And so not only is time is brain, but every minute that clock goes by, that's, that's nerve cells we can't bring back. So don't even sit on it for a few minutes. Come in immediately. So yes, calling 911 and saying I'm concerned about a stroke, uh, that will set off an EMS stroke alert, so to speak. 
where they they will send out a um, an EMS unit that has been trained in how to recognize and treat stroke, and then they will call the ER ahead of time saying we recognize that we have a stroke. They'll have a they'll ask you for an exact time of onset so we can know what kind of time we're up against, and then the ER will start uh, start start getting things uh, in line before before that patient even hits the door. So uh, making sure the CAT scanner, CAT scanner is clear so we can get you in quickly and making sure that an ER doc and an ER nurse is freed up so they can get to you immediately, alerting pharmacy to make sure we can get our clot-busting medicine available in case we need to use it, things like that. So using, using the ambulance service and the EMS services to get here uh, really helps expedite that stroke care as opposed to you trying to drive yourself or a loved one in. So that clot-busting medication you're discussing, and what's that all intended to do, and then what's the aftercare after you've done that for us, then what happens? Sure. So if, if someone ri- arrives within three hours of the, of the onset of their stroke, or for certain patients up to four and a half hours, we can actually give a clot-busting medicine uh, known as TPA uh, to try and dissolve the stroke that, or the, the clot that's causing the stroke. And so we have to screen people for use of blood thinners and risk for bleeding and things like that because certainly the risk is not zero, but we're trying to, we're trying to reverse a stroke that's potentially very disabling. And so uh, once we screen people appropriately, assess them for things that I would call stroke mimics, things that look like stroke but really aren't, once all of that has been teased out, then we give someone the clot-busting medicine through an IV. And from there, they're transitioned to the ICU, mostly for monitoring reasons. So we can keep accurate track of blood pressure, blood glucose, things like that that can make a big difference in stroke as well. So our our ER staff has been through training on this many, many, many times. They're good at recognizing and diagnosing stroke. They have early access to me so I can look at the CAT scan and things like that from, uh, from being on call. And then our ICU team and I kind of take it from there. So it, it moves really fast. It's a bit, admittedly a bit overwhelming for the patients and, and their families initially. But uh, it really needs to be because, like I said, 2 million brain cells a minute, it's, it's a lot to go through to really have to try and slow down. Dr. Klein, if you've had one stroke, are you then at risk for TIAs or further strokes after that? Yes, that is true. So uh, when you run through the risk factors for someone to have a stroke, a, a prior stroke uh, is on that list. Uh, though I would say that coming in the hospital and getting those risk factors assessed, looking for carotid artery disease in the neck or looking for heart difficulties, uh, looking at your risk factors such as blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, smoking, things like that. If we can get those risk factors properly managed, in the end, your risk of a second stroke is probably not that much higher than it would be compared to the general population, though it is true. A second stroke, um, so you are at risk for a second stroke just inherently from having a first one. So you spoke a little bit about some lifestyle behaviors for prevention. What do you want people to know the most important information for preventing a stroke in the first place? I would say the biggest takeaways in terms of prevention is there, there are things that you don't even need a physician or a nurse to really help you with. It's, it's the common sense things such as eating a proper diet or exercising regularly, maintaining a proper body weight, things like that, avoiding smoking, avoiding excessive alcohol, those things that um, I, I think we all know inherently but sometimes take for granted that, well, if I have a little trouble with that, you know, maybe a medicine can control it. Well, sometimes the cat's already out of the bag at that point. And so, um, yes, there are things we can do medicine-wise to reduce your risk of a first stroke or a second stroke, but really the, the main prevention is maintaining a healthy lifestyle to begin with. So tell us about your stroke program at Hendricks Regional Health. So, so Hendricks Regional is a primary stroke center. 
Uh, we have been for several years now, uh, and we've really set the standard in terms of uh, some of the numbers we look for for acute stroke care. So acute stroke care meaning those patients who are eligible to get that clot-busting medicine. So uh, American Health, American Stroke Association sets the bar at roughly 60 minutes from what's called a door-to-needle time, meaning the time you hit the emergency department door to the moment your uh, clot-busting medicine starts, so within one hour. And since I've been here roughly five years now, we've consistently hit that or beat it. And so it's something we take great pride in. And I know our EMS uh, ambulance drivers as well take great pride in being able to do that as fast as, as anyone else in the market. And our ability to carry that into the hospital to where all of our nurses are also certified in stroke, and so are all of our physicians who care for you, and then carrying that even through to what you may need on the outpatient side or in rehab services um, to all the way to the stroke support group at the end if needed. So there's a really a whole package that we've put together because, I mean, really stroke is it's not something you see coming. It's life-altering, and it can be very, very overwhelming for the patient and their family and anyone else who's involved. So uh, it's something that we have to we have uh, built-in programs to repeat those education along the way because it's it's difficult to uh, to take all that in when you're in the hospital. We have a, a follow-up stroke clinic where we go through a lot of those educations again because really understanding the disease is, is one of the biggest steps towards preventing it from happening again and, you know, and helping those loved ones who may be struggling taking care of someone with a stroke or perhaps trying to do it themselves. So having those, those social networks in place as well as the medical part has been a, a big difference here. Thank you so much, Dr. Klein. What great information and so important. You're listening to Health Talks with HRH. For more information, you can go to Hendricks.org. That's Hendricks.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.